Let's worship the Lord. Let's be grateful for his forgiveness this morning. God, I'm on my knees. God, I'm on my knees again. God, I'm begging, please, again. I need you. Oh, I need you. Walking down this desert road, water for my thirsty soul. I need you. Oh, I need you. Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. Like the sound of a symphony to my sin. I want to know about being born again. I need you. Cry out to him. God, I need you. So take me to the riverside. Take me under baptize. I need you. God, I need you. Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet Give us ears to hear this morning. Open our hearts and minds. God, as we uh, meditate on your forgiveness, what that means. God, forgive us for taking it for granted so much. God, we want to grasp your grace this morning. So God, would you allow us to understand a little bit more, to go a little deeper on what your grace really means to us. I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change.
singing for you now I'm gonna shout Lord I'm shouting for you now I'm gonna live Lord I'm living for you now I'm gonna love Lord I'm loving for you now I'm gonna sing, sing, sing Lord I'm singing for you now I'm gonna shout, shout, shout Lord, I'm shouting for you now. I'm gonna live. Lord, I'm living for you now. I'm gonna love, love, love. Lord, I'm loving for you now. I'm gonna sing, sing, sing. Lord, I'm singing for you now. I'm gonna shout, shout, shout. Lord, I'm shouting for you now. I'm gonna live, live, live. Lord, I'm sing of that. God, would you help us to grasp it? Yeah, God, we just give this day to you, this morning to you. Thank you for loving us, for adopting us, for picking us up out of the pit, brushing us off, calling us your children. God, help us to know that love, how deep and how wide. We ask for that this morning. 
God, help us to respond appropriately, to sing for you, to shout for you, to live in love for you. We thank you for bringing us here today. We ask that you would have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. excited about uh, um, what God's going to do there. So there's no dress code. Uh, I want to make sure that that's uh, <coughs> if obviously if Sean comes, he's always camera ready and uh, <laughs> a million bucks. But uh, anyway, uh, so we look forward to seeing any man uh, getting started uh, next Saturday, uh, March 4th, 10 o'clock. Thank you, kind sir. You bet. Was just <laughs> Sean Bowen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> There's no dress code, but you do need to be dressed. So just, 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 just so you know, guys. I know it's, you know. All right. Um, So yeah, that's gonna be great. So Saturday mornings, men's Bible study. It's been a while since we've had one of those, so it'll be good to get that going again. Uh, For the women in the audience, this one's, these ones are for you. We've got tabletop tomorrow night, 6:45 here at the church. The tabletop uh, Bible study and kind of fellowship group, 6:45 here at the church tomorrow evening. And then all the women, also the women's Bible study will be meeting at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. They'll meet next door in the coffee shop. The men's Bible study will be down in the basement. Young adults, this one's for you. We've got a game night this coming Friday night. So first Friday of the month is always game night for young adults. 6.30, right, Abby? <clears throat> Snacks will be provided. So come out, take a break from studying, enjoy some time hanging out, playing some fun games. And then lastly, for everyone, I want to mention next Saturday is our potluck. We're going to start the potlucks up again. We haven't had one for about three, maybe four months now, so this will be a potluck. We're going to start the barbecues later in the spring, but this will be a potluck. Um, I can't remember the, I think it's A to L. Do you remember, Andrea? I don't have the notes with me. I think it's A to L is side side dish or salad, and M to Z is main dish, but it's in the weekly email, so 
bring some food, whatever it is, just bring it, <clears throat> and we'll have a nice potluck next week. And then also for everybody's interest, I want to um, remind you that we are planning a Nicaragua trip or two, potentially. Um, we're looking at one potentially in July. <clears throat> it's still a little bit iffy right now. Um, but then we're also looking at some other interests. So if you are interested in going to Nicaragua at any time, make sure you touch base with Donovan at some point, just so we can get you on that list and start considering those trips. And then lastly, this is for all the coffee drinkers. Okay, we are closing the coffee shop at 9.55. That is just a reminder. Um, we feel it's really important for you all to be in here when worship starts, and we also want our coffee shop crew to be able to come in sometime before 10.40 or so. <clears throat> so just please get here early if you want coffee. The coffee shop opens at 9.15. The bagels are ready to go at that point. You can come in, hang out, sit for 20 or 30 minutes, have your coffee, and then be in here at 10 o'clock sharp. But yeah, we're going to continue to close up the coffee shop at 9.55, so that's really just a quick reminder about that, and we'd appreciate um, you helping us out with that. So we will go ahead and dismiss kids after I pray, but let's pray together, and then we'll go forward. Heavenly Father, we uh, just are so grateful for all the cool things that are going on at this church, all the opportunities that we have uh, to come together in community. Um, obviously, Sunday morning is a, is a key element of our week, Lord, and we really are grateful to gather here, to worship together, to hear from your word. But there's so many opportunities during the week, and we just want to lift those up to you and um, ask your blessings and favor upon each of those things. And just uh, encourage people to, uh, to come out and connect. Um, those are just great opportunities to connect, and we do it all just, just for your honor and for the, for the sake of community. Um, so, Lord, we just pray for your blessings on Gus this morning as he preaches to us, and uh, just share powerfully through him to our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and dismiss kids, which will free up some chairs for some of you in back. Um, so yeah, take your kids out to the lobby and the rest of you can uh, spend a few minutes greeting one another.
got me, Jeff? Jeff, Jeff Young, can I ask you all to grab a seat? <laughs> Good morning. I actually, I, I can't tell you how much I love the buzz in this room all the time. You know, it's just awesome that, just exciting to be here. Exciting to have you here. And, and just another thought on the Bible study for Saturday. We are going to be doing the book of James. And uh, we were talking about that. That was one of the first Bible studies we did at this church over 20 years ago. And it was just life-changing uh, for myself. I mean, it's always amazing that when you teach a book, it really changes you first before everybody gets the, the shortened you know, message of it. Hey, we are back in the book of Romans this morning. And, and the title of my sermon is, Are You Taking for Granted God's Eternal Kindness and Patience? Romans chapter 2. Earlier this year, I was at a church in Indiana. Actually, my daughters and their husbands have a ch wonderful church in Indiana. And, and the pastor was speaking on the Great Commission and saying, what is your commission? What has God called you to do? And to be faithful to that. And I just was sitting there, I was thinking, well, it's discipleship. It's my heart is discipleship been for many, many years, just to really invest in men to be more devoted to Jesus, better husbands, better dads, you know, better workers, whatever that might mean. And, and he said, to do this, you really need to keep this eternal perspective. You need, to, you need to have your mind on things that matter. And then he gave some passages of scripture that were just so encouraging to me. You know, it's really out of John where Jesus says, when you believe in me and you believe in God, there's a place I'm preparing for you. You know, and I'm going to be waiting there for you. I, I don't know why. I've heard those verses so many times over the years. And for this, for, for the last month or something, it just has meant so much to me. So encouraging. Such a reminder of my faith. But eternal consequences are not the same for those who don't know Jesus and haven't put their faith in him. They're, they're a good friend of mine, his secretary had a poster in her office. And it, it, it was titled, Things That Disturb Me Most. A sermon 10 minutes long or being a half hour late for lunch. A Bible unopened or a newspaper unread. Missing a good Bible study or missing my favorite show. My giving decreasing or my salary increasing. A soul lost in hell or a scratch on my new car. What disturbs me most? It's amazing how our perspective can get off on things that really don't matter. But the things in the Word of God always matter. There, there, there's, God wants us to understand that sin has separated us from God. 
Romans chapter 1 through 3 is all about that. It's really talking about the separation in relationship with God. And his remedy was the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was his remedy. And, and it was for people to truly trust and believe that, not just know it. It's not some mental ascent. And when people make a choice to reject it, there's great consequences. And maybe the greatest consequences is being away from God eternally. And we call this a place called hell. But the Bible teaches either that Jesus experiences for us and we put our faith in him, or people will experience it. And can I tell you, there's not a more difficult topic in the Bible for me. It distresses my soul. It really does. And because at a deep level, I get it, guys. I don't deserve, I mean, I deserve judgment from God. It's only, it's only the grace and mercy of Jesus that I know him. And I don't take that for granted. But that doesn't make these truths any less true. It's really what we do with them. I mean, do we, do we get focused back on the eternal things, or are we focused just on ourselves in a world? And he really addresses this in this passage, and he actually speaks about people who are storing up more wrath for themselves because they know the truth, and they're just not really believing the truth. They're not accepting the truth. But there will be a day of judgment, and our passage really speaks about that. So the question Paul really addresses in our passage is, are you taking for granted God's eternal kindness, forbearance, and patience? And my hope in all this, my prayers for myself, for us as a community, is that when this truth impacts our lives, that we'll just have more of a heart for the lost, we'll have more of a burden for people who don't know Jesus, that we'll be just more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, be the people God's called us to be. Let me ask you to just bow your heads, and I want to just read this passage as you bow your heads, and then I'll pray. But listen to the words of the Apostle Paul to the Church of Rome. He says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds those by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness wrath and indignation and there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace to every man who does good to the Jew first and also the Greek for there is no partiality with God. For all of sin without the law will be perished without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, submit our hearts to you today. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Help us not go through the motions of life. Help us not forget what you've done on our behalf. That we might be people who just are or just caring for the hurting people around us who have no hope without Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of life that's available to all of us as we believe and trust you. So bless your word and your people today. Amen.
And I don't know if you guys follow outlines or not. There's a few outlines up here. I'm an outline guy. There's some outlines in the very back corner out there, too. You want to get up. And I would suggest today, if you don't follow along, that you at least pick one up because it's got a lot of passages of Scripture in it that will really, uh, you can go back over. Thank you, Jess. Love it. As we start, let me read our passage, and we read it, and, and let me remind you the theme of Romans. It's the righteousness of God. To be right with God, ourselves, and others is really what this book is about. In the immediate context, we begin with God just being right. Truth comes from God. That's where it begins. Our, our lives revolve around what he says. This is his revelation of himself for us to know his truths for us to live by. It's not the other way around where we kind of figure out what we want or what it sounds like. It's truth from God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 say this, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. God establishes what's true, not us, not how we feel or what we think. But Jesus say, I am the way and what? The truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me again. And he's just saying, this is who it is. This is truth. This is God's truth. This is the only way to God. But he was truth also. And his truth here in the immediate context tells us not to judge others, but to really judge ourselves before a holy God, which will move our hearts to repentance. Uh, Kevin said it so well last week. He said we are to rest in his kindness, which will lead us to individual repentance. I really like that. There's this ongoing process of struggle, isn't it? This life's got struggle. I mean, the day you really feel great about life, something happens, doesn't it? And what it's really saying here is we have an opportunity to walk with God through our struggles. And that, and that when we look at God for who he is, it humbles us. It really does. It just humbles us. Because when we see a holy God, we just see how unholy we are. And you know what? It's a great thing to just go to God and say, I need help. I need forgiveness. And then we just move on. But again, the text shifts us to the consequences of the choices people will make. And the judgment of our righteous God. So you say, well, how does the author direct us in this text, in the book of Romans? Um, I, there's a few different ways. One of them is through what we call rhetorical questions. And a rhetorical question is not a question that the author wants you to answer. It's not me saying to Kevin, Kevin, how do you feel about this? Or what do you think about this? A rhetorical question is when an author wants to make a point. And that's how he directs you through the book of Romans. So let me give you a few examples, and then we'll go back to our text here. It says in chapter 3, verse 1, then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of the circumcision? Again, he's going to answer that. He's going to make a point, and he just basically says there's a bunch of benefits. You got the oracles of God first. You were the God's first people you pursued. But the tendency is if you think you got it first, you must think you're more important than other people. So another question comes up immediately in, the, in chapter 3. But then, do we, are we better than they? He's saying to the Jews, now you think you're better because you had this privilege first? And then he goes into the doctrines that speak that there are none righteous, not even one. None pursue after God. None does good. 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me make sure we understand. Chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, really one of the most encouraging passages of the scripture, but again, it, it leads to a rhetorical question. Verses 20 and 21, it says, And the law came in that transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Unbelievable. He was really saying, he says, as you struggle through your Christian walk, no matter how difficult your life gets, when you go to the Lord, he'll just continue to pour grace upon you. It's amazing. In fact, verse 21 says this, that as sin reigned in death, so grace might reign through righteousness, through eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our, our Lord. He's basically saying, it doesn't matter how much you struggle, God is always going to extend his grace to you. So the question that comes up that he wants to address right after that is, well, if that's the case, it doesn't matter how much I sin, and God's just going to extend grace to me. Chapter 6, verse 1. But then shall we say, are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? Should we just keep sinning a bunch and, you know, don't worry about life? He goes, may it never be. Oh, you who have died to sin still live in it. Because that's a misunderstanding. He's trying to make his point. So then when you go back to our text, he asks a rhetorical question. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? He's not, again, asking, what do you think about this? He's really saying, here's the problem. You are taking it for granted. And you need some help. And you say, well, what is, what's the problem? And again, as he speaks, he's speaking in generalities. He's, when it says you here, he's speaking to the world. That's why this this book has so much theological doctrine in it. Because Paul is really trying to help people understand how God sees everything. But what's the problem? Verse 5a says this, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're stirring up wrath for yourself. See, see here's the problem. It's, it's not that just people know about the gospel, it's that they don't believe the gospel. I suggest the problem is knowing the gospel without repentance. Knowing the gospel without repentance. You'd ask me in my worst days, I had some pretty bad days before Christ. I mean, I was living a crazy lifestyle. Hurting people, doing all kinds of stuff that, you know. If you'd ask me in the middle of all of that, Gus, do you think you're going to go to heaven? Yeah, I'm going. Better a whole lot of other people. If you'd ask me, do you know the truth? I'd say, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross. And he resurrected. But I didn't believe it. It tells us in James chapter 2 that demons understand the gospel and they shudder. So it's not a matter of, can't, do you know it? It's, do you believe it? And, and here's the problem that he sets forth here. It's the stubbornness here in the Greek Slurosis, it's the hardening of the arteries is where we get our word in the English. The danger is not physical, but spiritual hardness for Jesus. And the unrepentant heart is a refusal to accept God's pardon of sin through Jesus Christ, a complete dependence on him for our lives. See, to reject God's offer of forgiveness and to cling to one's sin is to accumulate more of God's wrath in a severe judgment. It's like if you just willingly just think you can sin, it doesn't, and it never matters. You, you give your life to Christ, and you just go on living the way you've always lived. You're misunderstanding the gospel. 
It has to come with repentance, a change of mind towards God, which leads to a change of heart, which eventually leads to a change of behavior. Because that's God transforming us. Hebrews chapter 10. Powerful passage. It says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume its adversaries. Anyone who's ignored the law of Moses put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe a punishment do you think it will be for he who deserves who has trampled upon the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant which was sanctified and insulted the spirit of grace? If we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will pray again. The Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. That's powerful stuff. Again, that's the mindset that you just kind of, wait, it doesn't matter. I, I, I know Jesus. I can live any way I want to live. I can do anything I want to do. And you just continue to sin without even any conviction or concern. That's a scary place to be. We live in a society that many are living that way. Beloved, there's going to be a day of judgment. If you look back at verse 5b, it says, In the day of wrath... In revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. Here's a really interesting thing. When Jesus came into the world, he came to save it from its sin. Amen? He came to save us from our sin. When he comes again, he's not coming to save from sin. He's going to judge the world. He'll be the judge of the world. Matthew chapter 25, again, some of these passages, they're just even hard to read because the implications. But it says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, when he comes again with all of his angels with him, and he'll sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he'll separate them from one another just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he'll put the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave some, something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And feed you, or thirsty, or give you? Or invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to the one, the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed people, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and, and in prison you didn't visit me then they themselves will answer lord when did we see you hungry or thirsty or as a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not take care of you they will answer him truly i say to you to the extent which you did not do it for the one of the least of these you did not do it for me either these will go into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life the same word in the greek punishment or life guys So what are the choices available to all of us? 
Well, verse 7 in our text says, those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory, honor, immortality, eternal life. One of the themes of Romans in chapter 1 through 3 is that we need the righteousness of God to be with him forever. We need the righteousness of God. Because sin has separated us. So the very first thing he does in the text is he speaks about the, the beauty of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verses 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous will live by faith. We've talked about this word, power in the Greek. It's dynamos, so it's where we get our word dynamite. It's just like what happens with dynamite when it explodes. Everything gets transformed. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of God in a life. When a person comes to Christ, it just starts to change things inside out. doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles or, or things going on in your life. It's the opposite. You will. But now you have the power to be changed. And humbly come to God and say, I need help. Because i got to tell you, I feel like I'm asking for more help as I get older than ever. It's not just physical help I need. It's, it's spiritual help. What does it say to those who by perseverance, it's a, it's a walk with God. The righteous man will live by faith, not just one moment you believe it and then just go on living any way you want to live. It's living daily and trusting daily. Romans chapter 3, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God, this righteousness that we need has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and prophets. But it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace, the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. That's it. You want God's righteousness? It's, it's a belief. It's a trust in him, not us. There's such a great passage in Revelation, chapter 21. Just this reminder that we need to get our focus on these kind of things that God has made for us. It says, then I saw the new heaven and the new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. And there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. He said, No, this is the truth. This is my promise to you. And he said, To me, it's done. I'm the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give water to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. The one who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What an amazing promise. But obviously, there's a second option. It's to reject Jesus. 
That is a choice. We, we always look at John 3.16, unbelievable verse of Scripture, isn't it? Because God's love, we can know him and be with him forever. But John 3.18 says this, the one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 3.36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We've talked about that word believe. We did a study on John some years ago. That word believe in the Greek is pastuus. It means an ongoing trust. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continuous trust in who he says he is and what he does. We need him. We'll be condemned. People will be condemned if they choose not to believe. And maybe the ultimate consequence, and the one that just is hard to even think about, is to be out of the presence of God forever. I just can't imagine that. Second Thessalonians chapter one says this. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. And again, it goes back to his judgment. So that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are indeed suffering. For after all, it is only right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of his power. I just can't imagine that. I sure think about it at times. You know, we're so blessed. Every day is a gift. It's really, what do we do with it? You might ask yourself, well, what is the hope for those who don't believe? Where God is so kind and so forbearing and so patient. But you know what? He's also a perfect gentleman who gives us all free wills. He's still desiring for people to repent. He's still offering it up. And somehow, beloved, we have a chance to be part of that. I don't understand all that. But we get a chance to bring and invite people to Christ. 1 Timothy 2.4, our Lord who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So how do, how do we apply these powerful truths that we won't take for granted? This salvation we found in Christ, this faith we have. How, how do we live differently to make a difference? Oh, I just keep thinking about that. You know, I don't, guys, I don't know how long we've got. You know, I feel like I've outlived my days already. And, and yet every day I'm just thinking, gosh, I don't want to lose and miss out. Because things change so quickly, don't they?
let me just make sure it's, it's really clear here. We're not talking about works getting us to heaven. We'll be judged by our works. We are saved by grace through faith. And faith is the complete answer throughout the scriptures, right? But here's the thing. When you have faith, when you believe, when you trust, you will see fruits and good works in your life. They come with it because we're trusting God to do what he's going to do in our lives. And good fruits come along with that. So my first application to think about is be committed to the works of God. Be committed to the works of God. Jesus said this, you not be amazed at this time, for a time is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out, those who do by good deeds to the resurrection of life and those who are committed to bad deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Ephesians chapter 2. Well, listen carefully. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one can boast. So he just begins there. He says, let's make sure we understand it. It's God's grace. It's faith. It's a belief in him. But the very next thing he says is, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared before and that we should walk in them. Let me just say this. If he's prepared works, if this is his plan, and we're invited into his plan, you think they're not eternal? You think they're not to impact people for Christ? They absolutely are. And I don't know what that means. I just know if we're willing, he will do something profound. It's really a matter, do we believe? Do I believe? And can I just say this also? That to do it, he didn't just say, go do it. He said, you need help to do it. In his book, Forgotten God, Francis Chan quotes J.I. Packard. Some of us old-timers remember this man. I think he's a great quote. He said, the Christian's life in all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, absurding, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness, is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So apart from him, not only there would be no lively believers or no lively congregations, there would be no believers, there would be no congregations. <laughs> I believe that. So here, here's my, my, my challenge to you as an application of this. Try, try to do this for a month. Just get up every day and just say, Holy Spirit, lead me to where I need to be, to the people, to the conversations you want, you want me to have. Help me to just see what I'm missing. Don't get up thinking about yourself. Pray for the opportunities that are all around us. There's so many hurting people out there. So many, so many hurting. I can't tell you in the mornings, I pray and as I'm praying and I pray this prayer and I say, God, who is it? And he'll just put names and I just start writing them down. And I know what that even means at that point. I just start listening because maybe somebody needs something in their life that I don't know about. But he does. And believe that he wants to use you. I heard it said quite a bit lately, a little kindness is never little. A little kindness is never little. Second, so pray for a heart for the lost. I mean, that's really significant. I, I think we can go on and... And, and go through life with not even thinking about people who don't know Jesus. Like it's not even on our radar sometimes. What could that be? Listen to the example of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like a sheep without a shepherd. 
He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. First of all, just ask God to break your heart a little bit. Not to forget what you got. But did you know this prayer, praying for workers to go out? I began praying this 40 plus years ago. God, send workers into your harvest. He, he commanded us to do it. You think he's not going to follow through if he's commanded us? I've watched my family come to know Christ. We're so far away. I watched my dad, who is an abusive, hard-nosed man, become gentle and kind and a good friend to me in his last days of his life. That's the power. God sends people to him. It's just a matter of, are we praying? Are we caring? Pray for a heart for the lost. Third thought, we all need to repent. We really do. We need to change how we think about God. Now, let me just say this. It is wonderful to think about the love of God. Oh, my gosh. We can't. It, it's, so, it's such a wonderful truth, isn't it? That God can love us unconditionally. Oh, my gosh. That he would die and do all that. But don't forget he's a holy God also. We've forgotten that we serve a holy God also. A God who could only send his holy one, Jesus, who he was because there was no other sacrifice that could for our sins. And he commanded us that we are to be holy like he is holy in the pursuit of holiness. Jerry Bridges says this, I think it's so good. He said, God has called every Christian to a holy life. There are no exceptions to this call. It's not a call only to pastors or missionaries or a few dedicated Sunday school teachers. Every Christian of every nation whether rich or poor, learned or unlearned, influential or totally unknown, is called to be holy. The Christian plumber, the Christian banker, the unsung housewife, the powerful head of state are all like to be called holy. This call to be holy is, is based on the fact that God himself is holy. Because God is holy, he requires that we be holy. Many Christians have what we might call a cultural holiness, a really interesting term, cultural holiness. They adapt to the character of behavior pattern of Christians around them. As the Christians' culture around them is more or less holy, so these Christians are more or less holy. But God does not call us to be like those around us. He has called us to be like himself. Holiness is nothing less than conformity to the character of God. So when I say repent, we got to think differently because if we're not thinking of him being holy and we're not thinking that we need to be holy, then we'll just kind of go and be not much different than people that are around us. You know what's really scary to me? That we live such unholy lives that people who need Christ would look at us and go, well, that seems to be acceptable. What are we watching? What are we listening to? What are we getting into that are keeping us from the holiness of God, from who he is? We need to repent, friends. We need to stop in this, that continuous, just giving over and making sure, okay, I'm struggling with this. God, help me to get out of this because I don't want to live that way. And obviously for those who have never committed their life to, to Jesus, to God's Holy One, it's not too late. Listen to Isaiah's words in Isaiah 30. It's really interesting. The context here is Israel was in opposition to the Lord 
wanting to go back to their sins, the sins of the world, literally saying, we don't even want to hear from you, God. And listen to what it says here in Isaiah, 4, Isaiah 30. Woe to the obstinate children, declared the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, who look for Pharaoh's protection to Egypt's shade for refugees. They say to the seers, see no more visions of the prophets. You must not prophesy the truth to us anymore. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesize delusion is basically saying, hey, just give us the good stuff. We just want to be happy. Leave this way, get out of the path. Stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. This sin will become for you like a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from earth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. And in quietness and trust is your strength. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Isn't that wonderful? just compassionately waits for somebody to come to him. It's a choice. And if that's your choice and that's something you're thinking about today, I just I'd go down and say, God, I've messed this life up. I've committed many wrong things. I need forgiveness. I need your help. I need you to take over my life. And he will. And then you know what he'll do? He'll graciously invite you into heaven because that, when you have a relationship with him, that's the promise. Let me make something clear here as we close. Um, this isn't saying if you don't do a bunch of good things, you're going to go to hell. Okay? That's not what this pastor is speaking about. I want to misrepresent it. But what it is saying, and I made a point about this earlier, that when you are living by faith, again, there are going to be good works written all over your life because God's got plans. And so if you've been in a place where you've just kind of taken this for granted, then take a good evaluation of your life. Stop and say, God, have I really been living for you? Or am I just so caught up in this world thing? Which we all get. We all get there, guys. Just stop and evaluate and say, God, I need more of you. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to get to that day and think, boy, I could have done something different if I'd have trusted you. I missed out on the good works because I just didn't believe. Let's pray. Father, we just are grateful that you are patient and kind. Lord, I can't even imagine what my life would be if you weren't. Yeah, we thank you for your word that gives us truths that are disturbing but true. Lord, help us never to ever take for granted this salvation that you've given to those who believe and put their trust in Jesus. And Lord, just give us a heart for those who don't believe. Lord, I imagine for all of us here, we're just thinking of people in our lives, family members that don't know Jesus, who maybe even know the words of the gospel, but have never believed them, never trusted. Lord, we pray you'd send workers into their lives. God, people that would speak the truth, people who would live the truth as they speak it. So Lord, take your word, help us, encourage us today to just be more concerned about who you are in our lives and not so concerned about ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Let's just take a minute. I believe God is speaking. I believe he wants to continue to speak to our hearts. And so can we just, just take a minute and ask the Lord specifically what he wants to speak to us personally, what he wants to speak corporately. This is my desire, this is my return, this is my desire. And all the lost and lonely 
All the thieves will come confess And know that you are holy And know that you are holy And all will sing out said, this is heavy. But we kind of want it to be heavy. That weight, that burden. It's hard to ask for that, a, a true burden for the lost. But we need to ask for that. We need to cry out for the lost, to shout it, scream it. So God, will you give us that burden? Give us that heart. A fire that we can't hold inside.
shout it. other we will sing and we will sing This is my desire. This is my return. 
This is my desire to be used by you. Sing, I want to be real. I want to be real. I want to be emptied inside. I want to be someone who's laying down my pride. I want to be someone someday I lay it all down before the King I want to be whole I want to have purpose inside I want to have virtue Purify my mind I want to be set free today I lay it all down before the King Let's sing that again I want to be real I want to be real I want to be emptied inside I want to be someone Laying down my pride I want to be someone someday I lay it all down before the King I want to be whole I want to have purpose inside I want to have virtue Purify my mind Wanna be set free today? I lay it all down before the King. This is my desire. This is my return. This is my desire. to be used by you I want to be real I want to be emptied inside and I know my heart is to feel you near and I know my life is to
Maybe God has put a situation on your heart, a person on your heart, a burden. God, we just want to lift up those people, those situations. God, we want to be used by you. But God, we want you to intervene. We want you to speak. And God, we, uh, we offer ourselves, our, our bodies, our mouths, our hands and feet for that purpose. But God, we just want you to intervene. Whatever it takes. That's the truth. You're never going to do it on your own. Scripture says that we need a new heart and a new mind. And we can't make that for ourselves. So when we find that we don't believe, when we don't have enough faith, we don't say, I just give up. In that moment, we say, God, I don't have enough. I'm scared. I don't have enough. I need you to do a work in me. 
I need you to do a work in me because I'm not enough. I don't have enough. When we come to God in that humility, he does it. It's not about you having to do it. You come to him and you tell him you're not enough because you're not. But he is, and he is that good. He will give you a new heart and a new mind, and it's going to be a journey. Sometimes there seems, it seems like there's not hope enough or grace enough to forgive us. But his kindness reaches through that and leads us to repentance. Is there hope enough these days? Give someone like me. Is there grace enough these days to forgive someone like me? Is there hope enough these days to forgive someone like me? there grace enough these days to forgive someone like me it's your kindness Lord that leads us to repentance your favor Lord is our desire it's your beauty, Lord, that makes us stand in silence. Your love, your love, it's your kindness. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. Your favor, Lord, is our desire. It's your beauty, Lord, that makes us stand in silence. Your love, your love is better than life. Mm. So I come. table and I delight 
here in your presence there is joy here at your table and I am sing this song or just listen and just bring it to the Lord my eyes tend to dwell on the things of today while my heart grows so
stand if you're not standing already and let's close with this so come on into the waters come let the broken sing come on you sons and daughters his love changes everything come when the fear is fighting finding the risen king come on and let the light in your love Changes everything. Oh, oh, see his body breaking.
God, I thank you for speaking today. And we ask that you continue to speak, continue to move in power like you do. God, if you're not finished with us in this place today, I pray that you would just lead us to each other, to someone. Pray for each other, to ask for prayer. God, and with those burdens that you put on our hearts, God, help us to be obedient. And I thank you that everyone deserves grace. Even though no one does. That's why they call it grace, God. Your mercy. you, Lord, for this day. Go before us in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.